The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. All righty, we have been in Genesis this summer, and we are going to continue there today. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 6 in a moment. Now, I had you know, people telling me that they're too cold today, so I didn't mess with the thermostat, but i got to get rid of this because passing out would go viral, but uh, other than that, <laughs> wouldn't be a good thing. So, uh, so we got we got to lose that there. So Genesis chapter 6 is where we are going to look. I'm calling it the first catastrophe, not really accurate probably. The first catastrophic event that happened as far as the earth goes was actually creation. Uh, but then you have the flood. The next one that we have will be with the Lord's return. Uh, but, uh, but I was trying to stay with the theme of the first and everything like that. So we're calling it the first uh, catastrophe. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 6 at a few different things. Uh, we're going to look at some of the problems of the time that led to the flood. We're going to look at, I'm, I'm saying the word passionate. I'm actually talking about a person who is passionate, the passionate person. <clears throat> Sorry, as we look at a guy by the name of Noah, and then we're going to look at the picture, which is really the, uh, the main focus of the story, is the picture that we see of Jesus Christ in the story of the flood and the ark. Okay, so before we do that, before we jump into Genesis chapter 6, I want to show you something that Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 24, verse number 37. He says, for as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, as things were in the days of Noah before the flood, so will things be when Jesus is coming back. Okay, and I want to uh, make sure you understand something. I am not going to tell you when Jesus is coming back. If you look at the rest of I know, if you want your money back, you can get it by seeing somebody at the door. Uh, but uh, in the same passage here in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, uh, I'm not, um, no, nobody's going to know exactly where it is, but he does say this, that when I come back, things are going to be like they were in Noah's day. So we're going to take a little time and look at some of the things in Noah's day and see if that matches up with 2022. Spoiler alert, it does. But, uh, but we're going to look at some of those things as we go through and see how, how it matches. Now, uh, before I do that, before we, before we jump in there, um, I wanted to uh, just remind you of my job description. Some of you are like, no, we need to remind you of your job description. Uh, I think you have, have this backwards. I actually don't know if we have a job description. We probably need to think about that. I need to figure out what I'm doing around here. Uh, but, uh, but actually, I do have a job description that comes from my boss. Uh, I think God makes it very plain that as, as a pastor, one of the main things that I am to do uh, is feed the sheep. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have even said one of the main things. The main thing is make sure that I'm teaching the Word of God. That's what I am supposed to do. Now, I also wanted to say, however, that with that, there's a couple things that are not in my job description. Okay, I, my job is not to convict. Okay, I don't, I'm not, my job is not to make, make you feel guilty as, as could be or anything like that. I'm supposed to teach the Word of God. Chris is going to teach tonight on the Holy Spirit, and he's going to tell you whose job it is to convict. Spoiler alert again, it's the Holy Spirit's job. He is to do that. Uh, I don't step in there and try to, try to make you feel guilty about anything. Guilt and shame are two tools that sometimes preachers use, but they never should because they're really tools of the devil. 
okay? My job is to teach the Word of God plainly, and I want to say that moving in here because that is what I'm seeking to do. This isn't Dan trying to get across his opinions or anything like that or make anybody feel bad about anything. I want to do the best I can at teaching the Word of God, okay? And, uh, and leave the Holy Spirit's work to the Holy Spirit. By the way, I should mention this. Anytime a person comes to Jesus Christ for salvation, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only He can convict of sin and show somebody their need of a Savior. Again, a preacher can do a fancy sermon and manipulate people emotionally, and a preacher can sometimes even um, make somebody, again, feel guilty and drive them to do something. But However, only the Holy Spirit of God can bring a person to salvation. Only the Holy Spirit of God can, can say to somebody, this is exactly what you need. You need a Savior. You need to turn from your sin and turn to, to a Savior and show them that real need. So let's go ahead and uh, go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them. Now, uh, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive. Okay, kind of weird little verse there. Uh, and they took them as their wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide with man forever, for his flesh, his days shall be about 120 years. And the Nephthalim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore them children, and they were mighty men uh, who were of old, the men of renown. Okay, this is not a super easy passage as far as that goes. And I say that because I dug into it this week. Okay, whether they talk about the sons of men, or I'm sorry, the sons of God and the daughters of men got together and had some babies. Uh, some translations that you might have talks about that they were very giants on the earth or, or whatever like that. And I wanted to be real honest with you as I dug into it this week. I'm not positive who the sons of God were and the sons of men. Uh, I don't feel bad saying that because neither are most of the experts I read. They're like, hey, here's some possibilities. Maybe the sons of God were the descendants of Seth and the sons of men, the descendants of Cain. Some say, hey, maybe the, the sons of God were the fallen angels and, and the other was mankind. Uh, they're not real sure. The point of it is this. What is clearly illustrated in this passage, what was going on on the earth is this right here. There was definitely this. Okay, there was definitely a time of sexual depravity. And again, we're looking at saying, okay, how does this compare to 2022? The times of Noah, as far as uh, mess up. And I don't know uh, that I need to give you a lot of illustrations about this. Okay, and I'm going to say something, and this is coming out of my mouth, my, my brain, so you can kind of say I'm not sure I agree with them on this. But uh, in a lot of ways, when it comes to this topic right here, as far as morality and sexual morality, I think we've lost a lot of the battle. I don't mean we're losing, and I'm not suggesting we don't fight anymore, but there's some things in our culture that have just plain lost. Okay, I, I don't know how else to say that. There's so much confusion. Uh, yesterday morning, I had to do my exercise routines, pretty vigorous, uh, but uh, I was looking for something to put on the TV. I was pretty excited. I didn't know this was on on Saturday mornings. Bugs, Bunny, and Friends. Come on, uh, it's classic American right there. So I got, I got watching that while I was working out. It was pretty good. I uh, shouldn't have said working out. That is lay on my back and move my leg a little bit. Okay, uh, but, uh, but it was a workout for me. But uh, 
when I was trying to find something, I mean, just in the span of probably six seconds, I stopped for a second on the news, and they were telling some story about Elon Musk fathering twins or something like that, and I thought, and you know, and they, how bad this was that he had done this out of wedlock, and then, then I stopped the next station, and there was a sitcom, an older sitcom they were showing reruns, and these folks were walking along talking about immorality like it was the greatest thing ever, and they'd just been to a strip club and everything, everything like that, and, uh, and I just thought, man, what a picture of our world as far as just the confusion about this. I mean, this type of behavior is wrong, if it, I can use it for my financial or political advantage and attack somebody, uh, but basically our world has come to accept a lot of sexual depravity, and here's what I mean, and again, this is my best effort just to teach what God's Word says. God has designed sex to be between one man and one woman who are in a covenant relationship. End of story. Okay? And again, please understand, I'm not dragging up anybody's past or beating anybody up for that. Uh, that's something that Satan loves to do even, even when we're forgiven. But what I am saying is the truth of God's Word is that that is it. Okay? I don't need to go in to tell you, you know, everything that is happening in our culture and how we're moving away from that. I think you could see it very plain. That has become, as far as just immorality, as far as adultery, that has become pretty much an acceptable thing. That is our culture of the day. There is definitely sexual depravity. Uh, let's read on a little bit here in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw wickedness of man, the wickedness of man, and it was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of their heart was evil continually. Let's see the second thing that was obviously part of the culture. Part of their culture was wickedness. Now, I mentioned this before. When you see that word wickedness, what it is really, it could be translated godlessness. It just means God's not important. Back in the Old Testament days, some of you that have had an opportunity to look at the Old Testament a little bit, you know that God's people a lot of time would wander over and begin to worship foreign other gods. Now, sometimes they would just flat out leave the God, uh, the true God, and they would worship, you know, some statue or some temple or anything like that. Many times what they did is they'd mix them together. Okay, so they'd worship God, but they'd also have this for Baal, and they thought that worked out well. And if you study the Old Testament, you find out that that didn't work out well, and that God wasn't pleased with that at all. But I want to suggest to you that today, we do not have the gods that are the idols and the temples that people are going down and bow down to, but we still have our gods that we mix with Christianity, whether that be the God of prosperity, whether that be the God of popularity, whether that be the God of self. Uh, basically, this is rampant in our society. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. God is not a priority. God is not the one true God that gets my worship and attention. And even many times in churches, you know, I, I don't want to throw a word around that sometimes has different meanings, but you've heard of the term prosperity gospel. But there are churches that are actually telling somebody, hey, Come to our church, and, and uh, basically God's going to give you everything you want. And it, and it is nothing but a worship of self. It's nothing but a worship of, of prosperity. And it is mixed in with the idea of following God. We sing songs that say, hey, God, you're the, we know you're in the valleys, but uh, we know you're in the darkness sometimes when it surrounds me. And even though I feel like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. And we sing that because the reality is there is not a guarantee on this incursed earth that when we follow him, everything is going to be great. But some people are selling that. Hey, yeah, hey, I'm glad you're coming. Uh, if you join the church, I guarantee God's going to bless your business. I guarantee you're going to be rolling. And, and you see what's happened there is we mix the other gods. The God of this world largely is that love of money, uh, but popular and everything else, let me fix it in there. All right, keep moving, Dan. Okay, I will. Now the earth was corrupting God's sight, and the earth was filled with, you don't think that's true, do you? 
so sad. I know many of you experienced this on Monday, 4th of July, and you get this news report out of Chicago, and you think, oh, you're kidding me. You know, and, you know, even just that idea, and, you know, we don't want to live in fear or stop going anywhere, but you think about that. You know, I was at an event like that. Uh, you guys were up at a, you know, a holiday thing, you know, celebrating the 4th, and you think, you yeah, know, that could happen anywhere. Here's this here's a astounding fact. Do you know that if you eliminated, every year this is true, if you eliminated all the mass shootings, there would still be over 99% of the murders that occur every year in the United States? Did you follow what I just said? I mean, that gets the attention, and we see that, but violence is not limited to these mass shootings. It is so prominent. So, again, I'm just saying we live in a world that definitely, we could say, is marked by this. Then you got this. I'm going to go to the book of Second Peter for a second here. Peter wrote about Noah, and he said, if he did not spare the ancient world, uh, if God did not spare the ancient world but preserve Noah, and here's what he calls Noah, a herald of righteousness. Your translation might say a preacher of righteousness. If he did not spare him with the others, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but he did spare him with the seven others when he brought a flood upon the earth. Uh, Jason, I think, will tell us a little bit more about the flood next Sunday night and a little bit of some of the things uh, of the, the evidence of the flood. I'm not here to prove that any of that happened to you t- uh, today, but one of the things that they definitely call Noah is a preacher of righteousness. A fourth characteristic of our society is unheeded preaching. Okay? I was watching some preachers this week, uh, and uh, I heard one of them say very plainly these words. He said, my main job, okay, he's given his job description, my main job is to make sure that when people come, I give them something that will help them have a better life. Okay, now listen. I believe when I'm teaching the Word of God, I'm going to do that. However, my main job is not to give you something that you want to hear that will help you uh, have a better life. My main job is to preach the truth of God's Word. My main job is, like the Bible tells is to call people to repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ. That's the job. If churches have become nothing more than a, hey, let's get some self-help, everything like that, then just stay home and watch a TED Talk, folks, because those will give you the help, okay? I need to be making sure that I'm preaching the message of Scripture, which is, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, okay? I've got to preach that, okay, if I'm going to be true to the job description that a pastor should have. But today, people don't want to hear that, okay? I mean, we're going to shut that out. Ah, one of those guys. One of those guys. We're going to shut that out right away. And I guarantee you this is happening everywhere. Where are people flocking to? A lot of times they're flocking to the uh, centers, the churches, that instead of preaching, repent and believe. I'm going to give you a helpful hint every day. I may or may not look at this, but we're going to give you something helpful for your life. Okay? And, hey, I'm not against that. And, again, I'm glad for you to get helpful hints for your life. But I just look at that and say my job description is not to try to help people have, you know, a happier life. My job is to teach the truth of the Word of God. And people don't want to hear it in a lot of cases here. Okay, so, now, again, I think you would agree with me. I'm not saying we were just like they were in the days of Noah. But if you look at these four characteristics of the days of Noah, I think we can safely say... 2022 ain't that far off, and I would love to tell you that Jesus is going to come back before we get out of here. 
but uh, but I, I cannot do that. Okay, now we're going to take a couple minutes before we look at this beautiful picture that we find in the ark and talk about the guy involved. And I use the word passionate because what I really want you to do is look at the heart of Noah as best we can. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. One other thing I want to tell you about Noah is that three different times in our text, Noah, the, the scripture says this, that Noah did all that God commanded him to do. You'll find that phrase or something very close to it three different times in our text. So we find that he was known for being a righteous man. We find that he was uh, obedient to God. He did what God told him to do very simply as we look at that. Now, let me ask you something, some of you that might be familiar with the story of Noah. Noah was a flawless man, true or false? False. In fact, you can find some major hiccups in, we'll call them hiccups, uh, major mess-ups in Noah's life, okay? That is true really pretty much of every Bible character. They say that they can't find anything specifically stated about Daniel, but go through the heroes of the Bible, whether you're talking about Elijah who battled depression big time, whether you're talking about Moses who was a murderer, uh, whether you're talking about David who was a murderer and an adulterer, and David is called a man after God's own heart, and Noah, who had his share of problems too, is called a, uh, you know, this, this guy is, is a, really seen as a lover of God. He's the one that they found to be, be righteous. Well, how does that work? You know, how can that possibly be true that it's like that? We need to emphasize not perfection, but redemption. Okay? We are not going to be perfect. We understand that. He was not perfect, but what he was is redeemed. And he had a heart to follow God. We find that he obeyed. So I'm going to put this word up here. Here's a characteristic of Noah's life. He trusted God. Remember the old hymn, trust and obey? That's perfect because we obey when we trust. If we believe the person who's telling us what, what we ought to do, if we trust that person, then we're going to obey. I know you came today hoping that I would tell you about the first sermon I ever preached. How many of you got up this morning and thought, hey, I hope he tells us about the... Okay, nobody. All right. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay, because uh, it fits well with what we're talking about. Uh, back when I was a teenager, we had a weird little group. Uh, where we, had a little, we called ourselves the Preacher Boy Club. Yeah, we were. Uh, but there were three of us uh, in our little club like that, and we would get different opportunities to preach, usually to our own teen group. Okay? So it, it came... First time I got a chance to preach, and of course, the first thing I did was open my Bible and dig in for the truth. Untrue. The first thing that I did was I listened to a Bill Cosby record. Uh, that's kind of how my teenage mind worked. I thought, hey, this will make a great sermon. There was a uh, record back then about where Bill Cosby did a routine about how God called Noah. He said, Noah, it's going to rain. And Noah goes, right. And uh, he said, and, and there's going to be a flood. He said, yeah, right. And I want you to build a boat. Right. And we're going to do this. And my whole sermon, I remember, was entitled, Stop Telling God, Right. <laughs> like that. Uh, that was my sermon. It stuck in my mind, I remember. Uh, but I uh, had very little scripture to it. But it is that idea of, yeah, really, God, this is what you're telling me to do. When you look at the things that God told Noah to do, you say, well, yeah, really? It had never rained before. This is what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't make sense. But he trusted God enough to simply do what he said. He had a heart bent towards God, leaning hard on God. He was not perfect in any way. And this is something we see throughout Scripture. Okay, you can find all types of scriptural heroes who are a bigger mess than you, if you want to say it like that. Well, at least I never did that. I never denied Christ like Peter did. I never stood and cursed and said, no, I don't even know him. I never killed anybody. 
Wanted to a few times, never did. Uh, but, uh, you know, and you think, where are we? But, but what we look at here is a man after God's own heart, that longing to follow him, that path, that direction that you're on. Read something I really love this week, and I hope this, this might be, uh, you know, something I'll say, hey, if, you're, if your mind's wandering, come back here for a second. I'll, it, it, I was reading a thing about how, you know, we are told to come to Christ as little children. And it was just comparing our following him, our father, to coming to him as little children. But the illustration was this. They said, when little children stumble, what do they do? They hop back up. It's a totally different story. I, I've told you before about a very humbling time in my life. I'm playing basketball. And the first time this happened, how humbling it was, I fell. And instead of anybody in the gym laughing, the whole gym got quiet and everybody stared like, is he Okay somebody help him up. Uh, is he going to live through this? I mean, I like the good old days when they just laughed at me, kicked me, and kept play, playing basketball. Uh, but it was like, oh, is he going to make it? Is he, is he going to survive, survive this? Uh, you know, when you fall and you kind of stay down there, but watch little kids fall. It, it, I mean, my one-year-old granddaughter was up last Saturday, and, uh, you know, boing, boing. I mean, you know, she's pretty doggone unstable, and she's flattening all over the place, and, and there she goes again. And I, I thought, man, what an awesome picture of our walk in following him as little children. Yeah, we're going to fall. Expect to fall. That's part of learning to walk. That's part of learning to run. That's part of learning to follow. But get back up like a little child. We're following him in faith. We're trusting him. We're getting back up. So as we look at Noah, I'm not saying this man was perfect, be like him. I'm saying this man had a heart leaning towards God, be like him. Okay, and when I fall, get back up. And when I stumble and when my attitude stinks, get back up and follow him in that way. Now, the best part I think we get to when we begin to talk about the picture that the ark is. For all of Scripture points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times throughout the Old Testament in many of the stories, we see what are called types of Christ. They give us a picture of Christ. So we're going to analyze how that rescue that came, the rescue, the ark came, how that is like Jesus in uh, four different ways that I want you to note with me. One of the things I want you to realize is that the ark was God's idea. What I mean by that is it was initiated by God. Man didn't say, Man, man had no idea. Man didn't say, hey, we need you to rescue us from our mess. Remember what man did in the garden after he sinned? He tried to hide. Okay, he didn't say, God, I need your help. And what God did in initiate, I mean, think about it. It is something that we would never ask. Can you imagine looking and saying, hey, I know that I've sinned. I know there's a penalty for sin. God, I'd like you to send your only son to earth to die for me. Could he take my place? Yeah, I mentioned this before. You know, I, I look around the room. If, if, if sometime my, my son uh, was sick or anything like that, he needed some type of transplant, I mean, I wouldn't go to Curtis and say, hey, Curtis, you got a couple kids, right? You got a couple, three boys. One of them could loan us apart, right? Uh, surely like that. And, and no, he's not, he needs that organ. He's not going to live, but you still got two left. I mean, there's no way I would have the nerve to say to him, hey, would you sacrifice your son for me? I would never do that. God initiated salvation from the very beginning. It's all about him. Okay, he had that plan. A second thing just to notice is not only is it God's idea, but it is God's design. You might look at what is preached in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but everlasting life. And you might say, I don't completely understand that. I don't know how that works. I don't, I don't you know, okay, so God sent his son, and, and God poured out his wrath on his son, and he paid the price, the sinless lamb of God. And uh, I don't completely wrap my head around it. I, I just want to tell you this. I don't get to tell God 
how to do things. That is God's plan. That is God's design. When, uh, when I walked up here today, I don't know if you noticed, but I was baby-stepping it. I was one step at a time. Up with the good, down with the bad uh, is, is the program. I did that, and I didn't really want to. In fact, I came in there early in the week, and I practiced coming up here. But then I met with my little therapist on Friday, and he said, you still need to go up the stairs one at a time. Uh, he said, you still need to go up with the good, down with the bad. Yeah, that's how it goes, right? I get it right. Uh, yeah, and I thought, and I really like this guy. He's my friend, isn't he? We're picking out curtains. No, we're not doing that. Uh, but I really like this, th- this therapist. We had a good time. And, uh, and he, you know, I thought, you know, I respected him, what he said. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to follow what this guy says. I trusted him. This is his plan. I could have my own plan for rehab, uh, but this is the plan that he gave me. So we're doing it. Because I figured this guy knows what he's talking about. Very simply, God designed his plan of salvation. I think it's hilarious sometimes how smart we think we are. Man's like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Big, hairy deal. I don't know how else to say it. You're not God. Okay? I don't understand that completely. It doesn't make complete sense sense to me. We are so impressed with ourselves. Man has been so full of bad ideas as far as how to get right with God through the centuries. Say, how do we get all these different religions? There you go. They know they got a problem. They they, they understand that. We got to fix this. We're going to invent our way. Maybe we're going to sacrifice, you know, children to God. They've done that in the past. Maybe we're going to sacrifice our money. Maybe you know, we need to pay a certain amount to church. Maybe we need to go to church, and that'll get us to heaven. And God says, no, here's what it is. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Believe in him. That's too simple, God. I don't like that plan. Good sense, doesn't it? It's God's plan. The ark was God's idea. It was God's plan. A third thing, just to realize, it's the only way. Okay? Simply state it. You got on the boat or you drowned. No other way to say it. You can get on the ark or you can drown. Um, I, uh, I re- this is a, one of these notes you write, and you're not supposed to read it out loud, but it says, tell that story if you have time. <laughs> Somewhere I've seen somebody who reads his notes like that. But anyway, uh, I'm going to, but, uh, but uh, let, let, me, let me tell you just a real quick story. That, and we might sacrifice our song at the end to tell this story. I've told it before, but it's, kinda, it's kind of Ill, funny and does illustrate well. Um, Francis and I, the first time we went whitewater rafting, we were with a group. And uh, this is back in the day. If you've been whitewater rafting recently, they give you your own paddle, and the guy sits in the back of the boat and says, left side, right side, forward, backward, everything like that. Back in the days when we went, first of all, they did not have boats that drained the water. So the only job the riders had was a bucket. After you go through the rapids, you had to bail. And uh, the lady... It was a lady on our boat. <laughs> she was stronger than any man I'd ever seen. But uh, there was a lady in our boat named Sue. I still remember a boy named Sue. But anyway, uh, she sat up on this, on this seat, and, and uh, she worked the oars and worked us down the river. And we just sat and went along for the ride, except our job was to bail when too much water got in the boat. And the first time we'd ever gone, uh, I didn't bother listening to safety instructions. Those are just, you know, those are goofy. Uh, I didn't bother with a wetsuit because I looked like a giant walrus. But uh, I didn't do that. So I was just sitting there having a good time on the side of the boat. We bumped into a rock going through the rapids. I slid right off. 
And uh, we were in a series of rapids, so another rapid was coming up right away. The water that this particular place was deep, I could not touch the bottom. And uh, there I was in the water and uh, struggling like crazy to get out. Now, I, better man than I maybe could have pulled himself up, but I was hanging on to everything and pulling. I could not get out of the water. And this boat guide finally reached out. You know, she said, you got to get in the boat. More rapids are coming. I said, I'm trying. And she said, stop trying. And Fortunately for me, my wife had listened to the safety instructions. And what she had learned is, if somebody's over the boat, what you do is you grab them by the top of their life jacket, shove them under the water to get some buoyancy, and yank them back up in. Now, again, I had not listened. Uh, so I'm off the boat. Uh, my wife reaches over, grabs me, and shoves me underwater. <laughs> I thought... You know, I knew I shouldn't have got that life insurance, but, uh, but, but anyway, uh, so she shoves me underwater, and she uh, comes up with a mighty heave, and uh, my arms were down at my side. I was like flipper. I flopped up into the boat uh, like that, and th this, this part is completely true also. My job was to bail. I wasn't in the boat to bail, so the boat was full of water, and when I flopped up there like that, my head wedged underneath the little buffer thing that people were sitting on, and the boat was full of water. And by that time, she's just laughing. The other girl back there with her is just laughing. My head is stuck underwater in the boat. I came very close to drowning in the boat like that. But the illustration that I want to give you is this. Like I said, you have, a, you have basically one way, get on the boat or drown. Sue looked over from the top of her perch up there, and uh, finally she said, Stop fighting! Stop trying! Stop struggling! Trust. And that's exactly a beautiful picture of how we come to Jesus Christ. We want to struggle and, hey, I can get there on my own. You know, tell me the way. Pastor, give me some stuff to do. If that will get me into heaven, I'll get there. I'm going to tell you, there is nothing that I can give you like that that gets you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven is we sang about it. We said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I stand clothed in his righteousness. That is absolutely the only way I'm going to heaven. I can't get there on my own. And you can try any other way you want, and you can reject anything I say. This can be in one of those unheeded messages. But the Bible makes it very plain that he that has the Son of God has life, and he that doesn't have him shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so you do it his way, or you don't do it. One, one other thing just to notice, not only was there just one way, there was the ark, there was also in the ark, there was only one door. <laughs> one door. Uh, when I do a funeral, uh, sometimes when we do it for one of our folks that we know well and we can kind of make it personal and talk about that person and talk about uh, them being in heaven when Jesus, stuff like that, but occasionally I'm called to do a local funeral. So a funeral parlor will call me and say, you want to uh, come down and help us out, and I don't know a thing about the person. One thing that I always make sure I do is begin with a text that is familiar at funerals, uh, John chapter 14, where Jesus said, uh, in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not told, or, or many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. Uh, I'm sorry, it begins with, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. And then he goes on in this passage, and I make sure I read the whole thing, because Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, when I have a family like that that I don't know very well, you know, I'm not going to stand there and preach, come on, uh, if you don't trust Jesus, you're going to bust hell wide open. That wouldn't go all that well. But I want to make sure that I give them that message from the Word of God from John chapter 14 that says this, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes 
to the Father, but by me. The message is very plain. Great picture of our salvation that we find in the ark. I think we've got a few minutes left, so I think we can also work in a song. What uh, I really like that resurrecting song. doesn't have anything to do with the message, but let's sing that. The resurrecting king is resurrecting me. Let's, 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 let's do that. Get team back up here. Here comes Jen. And when, when you're leaving us, ma'am, going to college, August 19th. Yeah, I know. She only looks 12, but uh, no, that's, that's, that's not true at all. Are you older than Trent? A little bit? Okay, yeah. But if you grow a beard, Jess, we would... I don't like that, but uh, we're, we're going to gather and sing, and I, I, I want to mention this, two things I do want to remind you about tonight, but I also just want to mention again, um, if, if something I'm saying is like, you know what, okay, what, what I want to mention again, as I said at the beginning, I cannot convict anybody, okay, I can manipulate guilt, but I don't want to do those things, those are tools of the devil, all I can do is preach the truth, Okay, the Holy Spirit of God, if you're sitting there and, the, and there's something going on, and I say this because I remember the day I sat in church and there was something going on. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I was missing something. And I really did. I had no clue. I was like, I, I don't know, but some, something's, <laughs> something's got a hold on me. I don't know how else to say it. And what I needed was to tr- put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here today and thinking, you know, I kind of feel that same way. I, something's missing. I don't know what it is. I would love to have an opportunity to either talk to you myself or have somebody else that, that could help you walk you through the truth about trusting Christ as your Savior. If you have any questions about that at all, I'd love to invite you to do that. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.